Chapter 16 of Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Claire. Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms by Harriet Lummis Smith. Chapter 16 Gladys Sticks to the Game. If Pollyanna's sense of humour had been more than a match for her sympathy, she would have derived considerable amusement from observing the efforts of Gladys Moore to play the glad game. But there was something so pathetic in the struggle of this untaught girl to measure up to the standard she had set for herself, that, when Pollyanna felt most like smiling, she felt most like weeping, too. Over the telephone, Gladys informed her of the departure of the latest cook, incensed by some prank of Gregory's, just an hour before dinner, and of Gladys's own attempts to prepare the meal. That she had not been particularly successful was only too evident. She had done just as the cookbook had said, but things turned out funny. There were hard places in the potatoes, a most unreasonable procedure on their part, for Gladys was positive she had boiled them long enough. The cauliflower, on the other hand, was cooked so thoroughly that Mr. Moore had mistaken it for soup. The roast seemed to have dried up, and was a sickly greyish colour instead of the conventional brown. In an ambitious mood, Gladys had attempted a dessert in the shape of a steamed pudding, but when it came to serving it, her courage had failed her. But anyway, I found something to be glad about, shouted Gladys, as if trying to reach Pollyanna's ear over the intervening miles of space by sheer lung power. I'm glad I told her just what I thought of her. "'Well, Susie,' I said, "'if this isn't a nasty trick, I never heard of one, "'and it's exactly what I'd have expected "'of anybody as low-down and ornery as you are.' "'She was so mad she almost burst. "'Mr. Moore's presence in his own house "'continued to be regarded as an infliction. "'Dad's so unreasonable,' Gladys once complained. "'Now, you wouldn't think anybody would ask a person "'just like my mother to go to live in some little jerkwater burg, "'would you?' Why, society is just the same to her that meat and potatoes are to other folks. She just lives on it. But Dad can't seem to understand, and he's always making the craziest kind of plans. And, when she laughs at him, he gets sore. Then, reading in Pollyanna's face a disapproval, which she interpreted as due to her failure to observe the rules of the game, Gladys added hastily, But sometimes I'm glad he's around. Now the other day I sent Gregory to buy some corned beef at the delicatessen, and he spent the change for peanut brittle, and, when he got home, he pretended that the corned beef cost a whole dollar, and his breath smelling of peanuts, so a fool would know just what had happened. Dad came out when I was scolding him, and took him into the bathroom and gave him a good licking. Yes, sir, I'm glad that Smarty got what was coming to him for once. Up to this time Gladys had returned her own calls. Pollyanna disliked Mrs. Moore so cordially that she felt uncomfortable under her roof, even though the chances of meeting Mrs. Moore herself were so slight as to be negligible. But her anxiety to do everything possible to encourage the girl who had so little to help her led Pollyanna to overcome her feelings of distaste and make Gladys brief visits on several occasions, and on one of them she met Mr. Moore. Gladys's father was apparently a number of years older than his wife. He was a tall, ungainly man, prematurely bald, and would have impressed Pollyanna as altogether commonplace had it not been for his tragic eyes. 
Never had she seen such disillusion as looked out from Mr. Moore's small pale eyes. When he admitted her to the apartment, he had seemed to regard her with the suspicions which she guessed had become habitual with him, and then he had looked at her again, and apparently had changed his mind. As she sat in the living-room, waiting for Gladys to finish her belated toilet, it was then past four o'clock. Mr. Moore unexpectedly offered his company to beguile the time of waiting. "'Sorry to have kept you like this, miss. Don't quite recall your name.' "'I'm Mrs. Pendleton,' Pollyanna replied, with her winsome smile. "'I'm very fond of your little girl.' Mr. Moore dropped into a chair, extending his long legs in front of him, and allowing his arms to dangle at his side. His appearance suggested a mechanical toy, seriously out of order. "'Yes, Gladys is a smart kid, all right,' he said. "'But all of them are smart enough, for that matter.' What they need is somebody to train him and look out for them and make him behave. Why, they're running wild the whole lot. Pollyanna agreed with him too entirely to make it safe to venture any comment, but her eyes were sympathetic, and, expanding in the warmth of her gentle interest, Mr. Moore continued, Most folks would call me a lucky man, I guess. I've made quite a lot of money. Of course, it don't mean anything here. You've got to be two or three times a millionaire to count it all. But back where I came from, he stopped with an explosive sigh that suggested an engine netting off steam, and again fixed his sad eyes upon her. If we went back to the little town in Ohio where I grew up, I wouldn't have to do another lick of work unless I wanted to, and I could build the nicest house in town, the kind with a big piazza, you know, and lots of room, and maybe a cupola. And I'd have a garden, and keep chickens, and have a couple of cars, one of em a big touring car, to take the whole family off on picnics. That's what I call living. But as for sticking around in Nisberg, with my wife playing the society game, and the boys going to the devil, well, I don't know that life pays on those terms. Under the circumstances, the effort to comfort Mr. Moore was very much like making bricks without straw. In desperation, Pollyanna fell back on Gladys as the most inspiring topic available. She spoke of her precocious womanliness, and how it had attracted her when she saw Gladys for the first time. Mr. Moore listened mournfully, punctuating her remarks with short nods of approval. "'Yes, she's a woman, all right,' he said. "'Has to be. Somebody's got to be a mother to the boys. And if my wife isn't at the theatre, she's at a bridge or a dinner or a dance. Gladys ought to be in school.' What's the good of being a successful man if your daughter grows up ignorant and your son's— He broke off as Gladys bounced into the room. She flung herself upon Pollyanna and kissed her as if it had been years since she had seen her last, instead of exactly three days. "'Oh, how perfectly darling of you to come to see me,' twittered Gladys. "'But why didn't you tell me, so I could have been dressed and not wasted a minute?' There were plenty of chairs about, but Gladys seated herself precariously on the arm of the rocker Pollyanna occupied, evidently feeling that her closer proximity to the object of her adoration more than compensated for trifling insecurity. Pollyanna felt Mr. Moore's sombre eyes resting upon them wonderingly, and she guessed he would have given much for a little of the affection lavished upon an outsider. As he rose and shuffled disconsolately from the room, Apparently certain that his daughter would find him in the way, Pollyanna's eyes misted over. "'What's the matter with you?' challenged Gladys, stooping in order to inspect her cooler more closely. 
I don't believe you're playing the game yourself this afternoon. You look sorry about something.' Pollyanna forced herself to smile. "'Indeed, I am playing the game,' she said. "'I'm so glad I met your father, dear, and I'm glad to find him so nice. You should be a great comfort to your father, Gladys.' "'Comfort?' exclaimed Gladys, staring. "'Why, there's nothing the matter with Dad. You see, Dad isn't like Mother.' All he cares about is to have a pipe and a newspaper, and sit around and not have the boys bother him getting into a fight. He doesn't need anybody to comfort him. All he wants is to be let alone. The slamming of the outer door of the apartment indicated that Mr. Moore had taken his departure, and Gladys gave her visitor a superior smile, evidently signifying, "'You see, I was right!' and so hard upon the sound of the closing door as to seem an echo came a crash from one of the rear rooms, followed by a roar. "'Now don't get excited,' expostulated Gladys, as Pollyanna started up in alarm. "'That's nothing. Probably they are playing pirate or bandit or something of that sort, and one of them knocked the other down.' "'But it sounds as if he were really crying. Maybe he is. They bat each other around till the wonder is they don't break their bones.' Norman came running in. Malcolm fell out of his airship, he announced, with the importance characteristic of the bearer of ill tidings. Airship? My goodness! What did he have for an airship? He got up on the high part of the bed, and he had the coffee grinder to make a noise like an engine, but he fell out and hurt his knee. The advent of Malcolm himself roaring lustily corroborated this information. Malcolm's stocking was pulled down, showing a battered and blood-stained knee. Pollyanna uttered an exclamation of sympathy, but Gladys, slipping her hand into the dangling stocking, examined it anxiously, and apparently with satisfactory results. "'Listen, Malcolm,' she cried, in accents offensively cheerful, "'you haven't hurt your stocking a mite, aren't you glad?' Malcolm, who clearly had expected commiseration, howled again, this time with rage rather than pain. "'No, I'm not!' he screamed. I wish I'd made a great hole in my stocking. I wish I'd torn it so I wouldn't never wear it again. Gladys stroked his hair the wrong way, though evidently with the intention of soothing him. Well, anyway, I guess you're glad you didn't break your leg, she said. And to Pollyanna, in a significant aside, I'm trying to teach the boys to play the game too. Pollyanna felt this was an inopportune time for initiating Malcolm into the mysteries of the glad game and suggested that they attend to the need without delay. They bathed and bandaged it in a business-like manner, and their attention was evidently balm to Malcolm's lacerated feelings. "'Lots of things have been the matter with me,' he said, when Pollyanna complimented him on his courage. "'Measles and whooping cough, and—and two teeth out, and—this, and—I suppose the next thing will be the bubonic plague.' By the time Malcolm was properly attended to, Pollyanna announced that she must go, and she tore herself away with some difficulty, for Gladys, who had been brought up to think punctuality of no importance whatever, was ready to use force to delay her departure. What difference did it make if dinner wasn't at the usual time? It won't hurt your husband to wait, declared Gladys, holding fast to Pollyanna's arm, and he sees so much more of you than I do. But Pollyanna was firm and Gladys at last gave up coaxing as a bad job, and promised to return the visit very soon. "'Now Dad's here to look after the kids. I'm going to come over and stay all day.' "'Do, dear,' Pollyanna said. She thought if they had a day together she could manage, without openly correcting Gladys's misapprehension, to enlighten her somewhat regarding the nature of the game. 
"'Come soon,' she urged, and Gladys answered buoyantly, "'Sure I will.' But that promise was not to be kept. Two days later, shortly after breakfast, Pollyanna's telephone rang. She answered with her usual cheery hello, and a voice she did not recognize spoke her name. "'This Mrs. Pendleton?' "'Yes.' "'You're the one, ain't you, who's the friend of a little girl named Gladys Moore?' Pollyanna started. "'Why, yes, is this Mr. Moore?' "'Yes, I'm her father.' He stopped, as if he did not find it easy to continue, then said with a gulp, "'There's been an accident.' "'An accident? Oh, Mr. Moore! She's at the Randall Hospital, she and her mother too, but Gladys is hurt the worst, and she wants to see you.' "'Of course I'll come, Mr. Moore.' "'Better make it soon. She's—she's she's hurt pretty bad.' "'I'll be ready to start,' said Pollyanna, in about ten minutes, and she heard over the wire his unconscious, heart-breaking sigh. It was hard to believe it was really Gladys, that white, bandaged little shape in the hospital bed. She looked small, like a child, but the changed face looked strangely old. Pollyanna's entrance into the room made no difference to Gladys. The heavy lids did not lift.' The white lips did not twist themselves into the semblance of a smile. "'She'll rouse up and say something for a minute,' mumbled Mr. Moore in Pollyanna's ear, and then she sinks back into a kind of stupor. "'I hope you don't mind waiting. I'd like to have her find you here when she wakes up again.' Pollyanna did not mind waiting. "'How did it happen?' she asked in a low voice, as she sat beside the stricken man. His grey face twitched. "'That's the worst of it.' She was called out last night to bring her mother home. Pollyanna's moving lips repeated the words over after him, but without speaking them aloud. I'd gone to bed, and I didn't hear the telephone. I'm not welcome in my wife's crowd, and if I sit up for her, there's likely to be words. Quarrelling don't help, that I can see, so I'd gone to bed. They wanted Gladys to come to a restaurant where they'd been eating and dancing and drinking after a show. It wasn't the first time they'd sent for Gladys, it seems. She could do most anything with her mother when she was that way. Pollyanna threw out her hand with an appealing gesture. She did not want to hear more, but Mr. Moore, unheeding, droned on. She wasn't drunk exactly, but she'd had a good deal to drink, and she was noisy and silly, and she wouldn't go home. So they sent for Gladys. I didn't hear the telephone, of course, and I didn't hear her go out but they say it was a little after one o'clock. He shifted his position slightly, keeping his eyes fixed on the motionless figure on the bed. There was five of them in the car when they started back. Gladys had coaxed her mother into coming along quiet. The men had all been drinking, of course. The fellow at the wheel, same as the rest. So they had a collision with a taxicab, and all of them were hurt more or less. My wife's in a room across the hall. Her face is cut up bad with the broken glass, but it's Gladys that's the worst. He finished his story and sat silent, his long legs stretched out uncomfortably, so that he looked altogether too large for the little chair, his fingers twitching nervously. Pollyanna sat beside him without speaking, her heart so swollen with misery that she was conscious of a keen physical pain. The nurse came and went with her air of professional cheerfulness. Once, from across the hall, came the sound of hysterical crying, and Pollyanna thought she recognized Mrs. Moore's voice, but the man beside her listened without the flicker of an eyelash. Pollyanna wondered if he really heard. It was while both the doctor and nurse were in the room that a tremor stirred the figure in the bed. Then the closed eyes opened and a bandaged hand moved. 
the father turned his agonized eyes on pollyanna go over so she can see her here he implored she's always talking about you and when she came to before the first thing she said was your name pollyanna went over by the bed she was trembling violently but she bravely tried to smile the great eyes looked at her for a moment with a blank stare that chilled her then recognition suffused them like a light and gladys's lips moved pollyanna thought she made out the words i'm glad she bent over her tenderly don't try to talk now darling i'll come every day and when you're better we'll have ever so many good talks together but gladys knew better rallying her strength for supreme effort she spoke quite distinctly i'm glad it wasn't mother pollyanna choking down her sobs tried to answer but to her surprise the nurse put an arm about her and drew her away then she saw that mr moore had risen to his feet and stood gazing at the bed the tears rolling down his cheeks and looking at his face she understood and so gladys moore untaught and undisciplined yet of that loyal stuff of which saints and heroes are made played the game to the end end of chapter 16 recording by claire